Hello, everyone, and welcome to this spoiler review for Shogun episodes one and two that are currently streaming on Epics and Hulu here on the Outlaw Nation. I am the Outlaw John Roca, joined today by my co-host on the Cinephiles, a man who is very steeped in the knowledge of James Clavell and of the original source material for this book, Shogun, my friend and co-host on the Cinephiles, Steve Morris. Steve, how are you? I'm really good, and I'm so glad that we're doing this. It's funny. I just texted you to say, hey, how is Shogun? And you said, you want to do a show? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, because as you said, like these are the, these books were very important to me. The original miniseries was very important to me. This is big stuff, you know. Yeah, you speak of the miniseries. Certainly in 1980, this miniseries was massive for those of us who are old enough to remember it, starring Richard Chamberlain and, uh, um, uh, uh, oh my God, Shiro Mifune, the great Shiro Mifune from, from Akira Kurosawa, uh, Akira Kurosawa's films and numerous other films himself. And so you had a lot of royalty going into that series. And although you have Hiroyuki Sonata here, Cosmo Jarvis not necessarily on the same level as Richard Chamberlain was back there in 1980, but no less of an interesting choice as an actor, an interesting approach to this character of Blackthorn. So um, we're going to get into it here in this review. We're going to episode. We're going to review both episodes one and two. We're going to break it on down, give our thoughts on it. Again, this is a spoiler review. So if you haven't seen the show, you should definitely go and watch the first two episodes and come on back and hang out with us as we discuss it. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you, as you texted me here, let's talk about overall your thoughts on these first two episodes as we see uh, the basic story here of what we've gotten in the original source novel here for Shogun of, of this English navigator and partisan sailor John Blackthorne who's working for the Dutch, crash lands on, uh, on Japanese soil. Uh, he gets involved with these uh, Japanese lords as they're doing their political maneuvering. It's Catholic versus Protestant. It's five lords uh, moving around each other here. He becomes a bit of a pawn in all of this and goes all the way to the top of the chain here and sees what's going on between these lords and then reveals this information as one of the final scenes of episode two that these um, uh, Portuguese uh, Catholic priests have been setting stuff up all around uh, um, all around Japan there because they essentially want to take Japan over uh, from everybody before any other European power can set up bases or establish trade with them. So what did you think overall here of what we got from the story, the political intrigue, the cinematography, the uh, score, everything in its approach here that we got in the first two episodes here of Shogun? Well, I the the, the short answer is not only do I think they nailed it, but they nailed it in a way that I didn't think was possible. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really, th I think I had trepidation when I first saw that it was announced. The books, it's so funny because like 1977 is Roots and that was the first big miniseries I yes. watched with my family. 19, this is the next one. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we watched it, every, you know, every night we're home watching this miniseries. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. And then the books, I, the first Clavel book I read was Noble House, which I read when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And if you had asked Steve Morris between 15 and 30, probably, who is your favorite writer? It is James Clavel. Hmm. You know, and I read these books. I read them all over and over again. I brought them. I brought hey. my original. This is my original hardback of Shogun. Wow. A better shot of that. There you, you can go. see my dog-eared paperback of Shogun. <laughs> <laughs> and you could all, and then also I got them on Audible. So these, I don't know how many times I've read Shogun and all the books. Pro, it's probably, it might be 10, but it's at least five. 
and okay. probably six or seven times that I've read Shogun. So, and, and what's funny is as I got older, they weren't my favorite books anymore. And there's some problematic things about the books, mostly because it's written by a white guy in yeah. the seventies about Japan. And for me, this opened up this whole world of Japan, mm -hmm. you know, and it's what led to, you know, partial Japanese martial arts and reading actual books of history of Japan and, you know, Japanese movies and all that stuff all fit together and all started for me with James Cobell. Yeah. And so I went, how are they going to change it? Like, how are they going to modernize it? And, and, and will they go too far from the source material? Well, and what, what was most remarkable to me was they actually are closer to the source material in lots of ways because mm. i know these books well yeah. it's like i was like oh what they're doing is really doing it mm -hmm. really getting into the characters all this wide group of characters that are in the book and it's actually working really well that's yeah. my overall reaction is how well the book is coming through and how beautiful done it yeah certainly you sense that here that they are kind of pushing down Blackthorn's narrative as being the main narrative necessarily, and they're elevating Toranaga's narrative here and what he's dealing with with the other four lords as they're angling to see who is going to be the overall leader here at a time in feudal Japan when there is transition going on about who is going to be in control with the Taiko dying and then at the Shogun, the, the angling for the Shogun status and the Shogun um, um, the prestige there, we see that happening. So I thought that was a fascinating change as well, Steve, because of what we'd seen in the miniseries. Richard Chamberlain's story is very much the focus of that miniseries and everything is around that, circling around that. This one is much more about pushing Blackthorn, Blackthorn's narrative down, although he's getting a lot of things to do, of course, that mirror what you see in the books and what you saw in the original series, but it's much more about what's going on in the palace and the political intrigue and the maneuvering uh, and all of this that's going on. It's, it's a commentary on religion. It's a commentary on wealth, a commentary on class. Uh, it's also a commentary on uh, people from another country visiting and calling them savages when they're seen as savages by the people from that country. So it's a fascinating um, amount of um, uh, topics and issues and storylines that they're exploring throughout these first two uh, episode. So um, I have to ask you, though, as we go into this, please feel free to speak about like what the differences are, if you can remember, between the books and what we're seeing here uh, in the um, in, in the show as we as we jump into these uh, sections of these two episodes to discuss sure. in these storylines. Please, I, I I will definitely do my best. I think the thing that's mm. most interesting is that in 1980, with Richard yeah. with Richard Chamberlain, who is Richard like Chamberlain. such the man of the miniseries of you know this era <laughs> yeah. i think what they did was they went we really need to focus on this guy he's the main character and so it's not that they added more stuff with him right that they reduced all the stuff with everybody else and so mm -hmm. what this version is doing is that it's bringing all that stuff back right all, a lot of that intrigue and all I and mean, they're really developing they care as much about obviously Toronaga, but mariko and uh yes. Kisiyabu and all of these other characters mm -hmm. they care about them a lot too and so you see a lot of those nuances and and we'll, we'll get to it obviously but mm -hmm. i actually think the way they treat blackthorn as a less powerful character yeah. makes it so much better, in fact, the way they're handling it. 
Well, and and not to be biased to go towards his storyline first, but I think that is the storyline we should be oh, talking sure. about here. Yeah. So let's start with Blackthorn's storyline. Cosmo Jarvis, I think personally, doing a fantastic job. Uh, kind of Tom Hardy light in a way in some yeah. of his performance of this character of Blackthorn. But we see him starting out on that ship with this captain there, who some of you may remember that actor from Peaky Blinders, takes his own life. He's trying to protect his fellow crewmen there. We hear that all the other ships have been uh, destroyed or sank or not. I couldn't find this area of Japan. He thinks he's found Japan because of the white sand. Then they get boarded by uh, the Japanese there after they uh, crash land there on Japan. He gets pulled out. He's put in this uh, kind of underground cellar, so to speak. Then he is yanked out by Yabush Yabushige, who is the lord there, who's found all this stuff, wants to keep it for himself uh, without telling Toranaga. He, he boils one of uh, uh, Blackthorn's uh, uh, crewmates there, and we hear it. Uh, and then later on, we see him befriend Rodriguez, who is uh, um, Nestor Carbonell, the guy from Lost and other things you've seen him before. And he gets information about what's going on here and about the Japanese culture and the way the Japanese approach things. And then he uh, goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Yabushige on the, on the um, cliff there, and Yabushige almost uh, takes his own life when he thinks he's going to die from all the waves, when he's trying to save Rodriguez. And then later he is brought before the court. He is used as a pawn. He's moved around here. He has this connection with uh, Mariko uh, that, that is going to lead to romance, as uh, for those of you who read the stuff. And then we see how he slowly but surely kind of understands what's happening, has that interaction with the priest there, Joaquim de Almeida, who's great. And then later when he's in front of Toronaga, he explains what the Portuguese are trying to do and what these men of the cloth there are really trying to do in service of the Portuguese. And he becomes a much more important person now to Toronaga rather than just being a pawn he can use to mess with the other lords so he can retain power and retain some kind of control here in this situation. So what did you think about how they handled Blackthorn's storyline throughout these first two episodes? So there are certainly differences with the novel. There, there okay. are little differences. Like um, the captain doesn't kill himself in the novel. I think the captain okay. dies in the pit a little bit later. You know, the the um, there are things about, you know, how much time he spends in the hut of the villagers and stuff like that before he's mm -hmm. in the pit. But what they what they got that's so good, and I, and I really like, because Richard Chamberlain is like a stud. Like he's like a, just a cool guy <laughs> who's too, who you're like, this is our hero. He looks like a hero. He acts like a hero. Yeah. And what they get that I think is great is that Blackthorn's a little arrogant. He's a little bit yes. aggressive. He's a little bit, and he's, and, and what it does is it makes him much more outmatched mm -hmm. and much more of a pawn. Like as you see him, instead of like our heroic main character, right. he's a guy with no power doesn't understand what the hell is going on around him and doesn't know what to do about it. There's some things, and, and this is just good filmmaking. It's like the the, the thing of boiling, the, the character, and he's Kasigi Yabu in the book, and I think they call him something but differently mm -hmm. here, the the lord that boils the sailor. Yeah. First yeah, of all, there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a bit that um, isn't in the book, in this version, which mm -hmm. is that they actually draw lots of who has to go die. Oh, wow. And the guy that's supposed to go die doesn't because Blackthorn screws it up because he doesn't believe that one of them surrenders, so he fights back. And in the fight, they just drag out the youngest kid, and that's who gets killed. Oh, so wow. that's a that that was a thing that they cut out, which I which I think is a really good thing. But what they I think they've nailed this character so perfectly of this lord who is a sick fuck. I mean, that's basically the reality, and yet you kind of like him on this really interesting way. And I and and in particular. 
the scene of boiling this person and that yeah. he has ordered this because in some weird way he's obsessed with death and yeah. gets off on it and it's just they handled it really really well and, yeah. and i think represented something from the book with that i also think just the, the 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 two people i really like the guy who's playing tornaga by the way yes it's tough to beat tashira mifuni and, yeah. <laughs> and the biggest yeah. one that's tough to beat is rodriguez which is john reese davies in the original oh wow and he yeah. is so fantastic and so this guy not quite as much but hmm. in general they like they really the the scene where Rodriguez has gone overboard and that uh, we're going to go rescue him. And then yeah. he ends up, maybe he's going to kill himself on the rocks after he falls and all that. They did that really, really, really well. I yeah. Think. This idea of being challenged. He's challenging me in front of my men. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yep. I've got to go down and save this guy. I would have normally not, I couldn't care, care less about this guy, but because you're challenging me here and he has some, I guess, maybe some understanding of Japanese culture from having the conversation with Rodriguez and having maybe getting a little knowledge himself. He takes this gamble. And that's, I think, what, you were, what you're getting at so well with Cosmo. There is this arrogance, and he takes this, these gambles with that arrogance because of what he thinks might work out for him and how he thinks it might uh, uh, be to his benefit. And we see that and how that scene plays out there, which I thought was really well done. And him pulling out the sword in the the samurai sword and the water katana in the water and wanting to essentially kill himself. I think that comes back to this idea of we see uh, with Toronaga later, this idea of seppuku is a big deal here being presented to us right in the first two episodes, that it is something that is very much commonplace uh, in their presentation of feudal Japan at this time. Right. Well, and 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 certainly these are the things where it's like, did did these things exist? Yes, they absolutely did exist. Yeah. Did James Clavell romanticize them in a way that was sort sure. of titillating to the West? Yeah, he kind of did. And I think what this miniseries is doing is it's it's striking a good balance mm -hmm. in terms of introducing you to the culture, but also making you see because it's so well cast yeah. and they spend so much time on all of these individual actors of seeing all the little personal interplay in the looks. You know, for instance, there's the character of Omi, who's always one of my favorite characters, and he's the nephew of Yabushimi. And yeah. he's he's the guy who, and there's this moment where we realize that he's smart and his Lord realizes that he's smart and awards yeah. him some smart. And it's just little details like that, that, that fill out the characters and make them feel really real and human. I think yeah. some of the things that they're doing with Mariko, and we'll get to it in the second episode, yeah. but is not only is it really good, and reflects elements of the book, but they actually improve upon the book in a lot of ways in some of the subtleties that we see in terms of her character and her relationships, both with Tornaga, with her father-in-law, with her husband, all of those people. Yeah. Do you like though where we end up with Blackthorn? Do you like that we're getting exposition dumped by the by that priest in the prison? Do you like that he's the one that is uh, challenging that father? Was it Father Martin? I think Tommy Bastow playing Father Martin, who I thought was a really good performance as well, and going toe to toe with that guy, and then later revealing what's really going on here uh, through his own knowledge of what they're trying to set up um, uh, in their the, what the Portuguese are trying to set up there uh, with Japan. Did you like? that they move that quickly through that story to that moment there to end the uh, uh, episode two. So uh, it is certainly very much reflects what happens in the book. It's a little sharper, I think, than what happens in the books. I think the, the, the thing that they had less of is that like when he's in prison, 
he really quizzes this guy, this, you know, this priest, he's yeah. a Franciscan monk, I think in the book about the history, but then is also teach me the language. I want to learn as much. Uh, yeah. and, and so he's, so what happens, I think in the way they're handling it in this is you see Blackthorn be more passive mm -hmm. than he is in the book probably, yeah. but then it also allows us it to be more surprising when he does things like say, thank you, yeah. you know, like that moment of like, Oh, this is a guy who's going, he's, what's interesting i think in these first two episodes is you see him totally out of control yes totally overmatched no idea what the hell's going on and genuinely scared and then you see him slowly start to get his feet under him yeah as he starts to figure things out and i think that rather than begin just beginning here's our hero i yeah. think this is a much better way to go is what i'd say yeah the director jonathan van de uh who did a wonderful job in these first two episodes directing both of them he said on the podcast the accompanying podcast that they shot this a majority of this in order chronological mm. order they, which you know as right. a director yourself steve that is a very difficult and right. tall order to take on with something like this but they did that so that the actor cosmo jarvis would be learning japanese just as mm. black thorn was learning japanese as wow. he's spending more and more time in Japan there through the story uh, from the uh, from the original book. So they did that to mirror that situation um, in a way, so to make it work for the show, which I thought was smart, you know? Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, brother. Oh, I was just going to say that I, I think the other, what that does too is it, and really what they've done in general is you really get that Torunaga knows stuff, yes. that he has plans, and we don't know what they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you yeah. get that thing. And I think this is one of the, the key relationships that I, I think is going to go really well mm -hmm. in the way that they're approaching this is Toronaga, which is obviously based on the Tokugawa Shogunate, which is the, you know, these are all based on real historical figures. Yes. Whose stories have been changed slightly. And that you can see by the end of the second episode, there is a connection that's starting to form between Blackthorn and Toronaga, yeah. and that Toronaga is seeing him as this is someone I can use. Yes, know? yes, and in more ways than one, as as I'm sure the story goes along for sure. And just uh, real quick, the uh, title of the episode is Angene, which means pilot. Uh, and you and Blackthorn, Blackthorn is certainly called a pilot in the first episode, but you might even argue that Toronaga is a pilot as he's trying to pilot Japan to a different existence and a better existence possibly through what we're seeing so let's switch over into that storyline here jeff we do get to meet hiroyuki sonata right at the beginning there with um i think it's the falcon or whatever bird he's got taking that other bird out and then in a way he's kind of giving you the foreshadowing of how he's going to behave kind of sitting in the shadows waiting being patient not overreacting and then going in for the kill um in a way kind of letting you know what he's going to be doing here with these five with these four other lords and at, initially we see him and he's got this kind of strength and we know that he's against four other lords, but he's keeping um, the former Shogun's uh, a wife in the castle with the child because the child was too young to rule. That's the way this is all playing out. So he is using whatever he can use in these situations to keep himself somewhat powerful and move amongst these four through this um through this uh what would you call this 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 uh manners this comedy not a comedy of manners but certainly we have these ways of acting within this particular political society that he's taking advantage of so he can stay kind of above everything here and work his way through it and figure out how 
to retain some semblance of power and all of this with him. Uh, and he goes back and forth with Takahiro Hira, who plays Ishi Ishido, who is the main guy kind of leading these four other lords. And we do meet the other four lords as well in all of this. But then later, as we go into the second episode, we get this flashback into what happened with the former Shogun and how connected he was. And when he's dying, what he tells him and what he says to him um, that he should do there. So we find out that these are the motivations for why Toranaga is doing the things that he is doing and how he moves amongst the uh, the four lords to kind of use Blackthorn in order to cause problems with Ishido and the other lords because of the Catholic connections, the Protestant connections, all of this going on. So how did you feel they handled this storyline and how did you feel Hiroyuki Sonata did? I know in comparison to Toshiro Mofuni, maybe not quite coming up to close, but I thought he did a wonderful job myself. I think he's great. What did you think? It, yeah. it, it's just I can't take my eyes off Toshiro Mofuni. You know what I mean? And I can't take my brain off of Toshiro yeah. Mofuni. I think he did a fantastic job. I think they handled this well. And I want to share with you this uh, poem that I learned years ago, oh. that I, I, which I love, which is based on the actual real people this is based on, which is mm -hmm. Tokugawa, who becomes Shogun. The guy they talk about is the Taiko, one of the most fascinating people in history, and I would love to see a movie about him, mm. is a guy named uh, Nobunaga, and uh, I'm sorry, named Hideyoshi. And Hideyoshi was a peasant who worked mm. his way to rule all of Japan because he was such a genius. Wasn't a samurai, wasn't a general, no noble birth. And then his two right-hand men are young Tokugawa mm. and young uh, Nobunaga who is a very violent, intense guy. And the poem is is someone asked each of them the same question, which is, what do you do if your bird won't sing? And Hideyoshi says, make it want to sing, which is his real genius. His real genius is understanding what you want and getting your motivations aligned with his motivations. Mm. Nobunaga says, you know, what do you do if your bird won't sing? And he says, kill it. <laughs> that's, that's his response to problems. They ask Tokugawa, what do you do if your bird won't sing? And he says, wait. Oh, and that is the, that is the central theme of his strategy is mm. patience only act when you're a hundred percent sure that you've got it. And other than that, I'm just going to wait, which is what we see. He's gone literally into the lair of his enemy. Yeah. Everyone's like, they're going to ask you to kill yourself in the next couple of days, dude, what are you doing? Why are you here? And he's like, wait, you know, and you can, and I think they're setting that up so beautifully in these yeah. first episodes. And I also think they do an even better job. Yes, there's the thing about Macau and that the Portuguese have these yeah. bases and they're using Ronin and things like that. But I think, actually think they do a better job by just the reactions as Blackthorn says those things around mm -hmm. the room to see how shocking this is and to see the wheels turning with Toranaga mm -hmm. of how am I going to use this to my advantage? And and and, and it really and, and also you have Yabushimi and just you're like, wait, whose side are you on, dude? Like what yeah. you could see. And, and all of that is set up, I think, really, really beautifully. Yeah, I think you can all get that with Rabushigi. Like, he is, uh, the title of the second episode is Servants of Two Masters, and that could apply to a number of things here, right? Yep. With Blackthorn being a servant to not only um, uh, the uh, the British here, which he's trying to set up uh, the trade relations with Japan, but also he hired by the Dutch. So he's got two little masters that he's serving. We see here, Yabushigi, he's both, he's serving both Ishido and Torana and uh, uh, and what he's doing here. So we see that there are quite a number of people who are involved here that have two masters, even Mariko serving her God, but also yep. her country. You know, we see that as part of this uh, as well. So let's move over to, to Mariko, who I think Anna Sawai does a wonderful job. Um, I didn't, 
necessarily think she stood out so strongly in Monarch Legacy of Monsters, that recent series on Apple TV+, Plus. but I thought she was incredible, Anna Sawai, in this particular uh, uh, first two episodes of Shogun uh, as uh, Mariko, and seeing her journey in all of this as we go and flash back and see what connections she has, how she's smarter than her husband, how Toronaga respects her more, appreciates her more, how um, her husband is the son of uh, Toronaga's second-in-command, in essence. So the weirdness that might come with that once she starts her relationship with Cosmo. Because full disclosure, I've never read the book. I remember the series watching with my mom, but I was a really young kid when I saw it. So right. I don't remember much about it. This is all coming new to me, and I'm really enjoying it from that perspective. So we're going to see how that plays out. But also we see the faith that Toronaga has in her and her learning Portuguese and being the translator and doing the things that she's doing and her connections and relationships with the other women of the court, for lack of a better term, in all of this as well. And her moving around all of that and 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 the connection she has with them. So what did you think about how they handled the Mariko character and how Anna Sawai did with it here through these first two episodes? I think they are living up to the premise that is in the book that I don't think they realize as well in the book or in the original miniseries as they realize here, which is that, and in particular, there's the scene where everyone's asking Tornaga, what are you doing? Yep. And he explains a little bit. And then Hiromatsu, which is his right-hand man, the older guy yes. who's cast beautifully, one of my favorite characters, he's like, I don't get it. And you can see yeah. that Mariko has already figured it out. Right. You could see because she reacts to something. And then Toronaga also sees that she has figured it out yeah. and gestures to her. And she explains that he's going to use the Christian Daimos against Ishido. Yeah. And that that moment is so key because what you do is you go, oh, the only person near Toronaga's level is actually Mariko. Yes. You know, and so yes. that is like a really and then you have the other moment, which Buntaro is your husband, and he is not a terribly nice guy. No, and their marriage isn't terribly happy. And but and you get that. This is how good filmmaking works. When we, yeah. she's like laughing with their son, I think, and then in comes Buntaro, and immediately you get what this relationship is. Yeah. It's funny we're doing Raging Bull on the cinephiles. I'm not quite saying that Buntaro is Jake Lamata, but <laughs> he is definitely not a nuanced person, and yeah. not as and and the moment too where they go, oh, you know, Toronaga's having another council, and Buntaro goes, oh, he wants me at the council, and he goes, and Hiromatsu goes, no, not you, <laughs> and just that kind of feeling. The other thing that I think, and I, you know, this is a spoiler review, so I'm spoiling a little yes. bit, Don, yeah, but please. there is going to be a relationship with Mariko and Blackthorn. Right. And Which was and teased so, in the trailer. That's no spoiler. Okay. So, yeah, so, so good. So, but what they do much better, Mariko kind of likes Blackthorn from the beginning mm. in the book. And what they do here, which is so much better, is because of her Catholicism and her alignment yeah. with the Portuguese, is she is against him. Yeah. The other thing they do with Father Alvito, who I think they've done a really good job, is we don't we don't know how to feel about him. Right. On, on, on some levels, he's right. like the first priest that we met that was a bad translator in the in the first episode. Yeah. We're like, well, we don't like that guy. You know, yeah. you know, that's obvious. But then when we get to Alvito, who's being much who is translating much better for Blackthorn, is being an honest translator. Yeah. We're we'll like, well, can we trust him? Can we not trust him? And then we realize the complexity of all, you know, the serving multiple masters, as you say, yeah. and his relationship with Toronaga. But then you have the scene where he talks to Mariko, and there's just 
the hint of creepiness to it. Yeah. It's not creep. It's not fully like, oh, this guy's a creep. It's, right. is this guy creep? Like, what is his? And I, I think they do a really good job of handling the, those motivations in a, in a subtle and complicated way that make you go, oh, I want to see what's going to happen with this going forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that, Stephen. It's a it's another it's another way of being symbolic in the approach, right? Because you're seeing that the Portuguese and these Catholic priests want to take over Japan, is what it seems like. Um, Cosmo is related. Uh, Cosmo, I'm sorry, um, Blackthorn is relating to Torinaga that this is all happening. And you said earlier, Yabushika's reaction when even he's shocked that yeah that's happening, which I think is great because it shows you that there's whatever their issues are with each other, they're still very proud of their land and their country, and they want to protect their country to have people coming in and try to take it from them from uh, behind their backs is something that there's that immediately ignites a national pride to fight back against that and i think what you're seeing here is that western uh desire to colonize to take to take or to uh, spread their power in a new area and in a way father martin uh, alvito represents that in the slight creepiness with um with uh, mariko because he wants to in essence take her over through his subtle ways and win her over with uh, you know my, you're you're already um in love with the god that I, I taught you how to be in love with the god we all taught you so i'm going to use that a little bit to get even further to get your gain your trust and get closer with you where is that going to lead to so yeah that's a nice point you bring up you know and in a way his relationship with her symbolizes with a Western relationship with Japan wanting to take it over as well through subtle means, but not really revealing what their actual intentions are until it's too late for them to fight back. So I love that that element is there within uh, Father Martin um, Alvito. Is there more to add with him? Like, what do you want to say about how they're handling the Portuguese priests and the Catholicism angle here with this? Because, I mean, it isn't like Blackthorn's coming from a different point of view. He wants to do the same thing. He's just serving the Catholic side of things, of wanting to take over Japan and establish trade routes themselves. So he's not some Puritan, a pure person coming in and trying to do the right thing here. He was, He's like, give us a piece of the pie as well. So how do you see how they've uh, done the priests here and, and laid out the threat of the priests in these first two episodes? So so first of all, one one thing that is definitely a change from the book is mm. there's a moment where Torinaga says, why are you here or what do you want from me? And he says, I want you to help me fight my enemies. Yeah. And in that scene in the book, that is definitely not what he says. What he says <laughs> over and over again is I'm only here to trade. Like I'm yeah. just a, I'm just a, a, a trader. You know, we want to open up trade routes to Asia. That's the only, only reason I have canon is to protect myself. And that's right. all I want. We want to, you know, let's make a deal is what he says repeatedly. Now that's not entirely true, but that is what he says. Right. Um, the thing about one, one thing to keep in mind, which this historical piece of information is so crazy to me, which is what Blackthorn says is really historically accurate. Yeah. Spain and Portugal really did come up with a deal with Pope. I forget which Pope it is yeah. to divide up the world. They just yeah. said, all of these lands are Spain. All of these lands are going to belong to Portugal, which is really crazy. I also think, I mean, they mentioned it really briefly because, uh, uh, Ishido says something about, Oh, I found you buried under a body, a, a, a pile of dead Koreans at one point, mm. because one of the things that Tycho did, they were going to, they went and tried to take over Korea yeah. and they wanted to take over China. Like the whole goal of the, ja of, of the Tycho and of Ishido was, I want to sit on the dragon throne in Beijing. Yeah. You know, that's what wow. they, they, so like the idea of it's just the Portuguese who want to take over the world. No, no, the Japanese wanted to do that too. Good point, man. Um, the other, the one thing that I think they, 
isn't as clear is there's a real split between the Spanish and the Portuguese. Mm -hmm. So Rodriguez is Spanish. Yes. And so there's, and the guy in the book, the priest that he meets in jail is a, a Franciscan monk who's Spanish, mm -hmm. you know? And so they, and there's just a whole different class system. And the other thing that's interesting is the difference between the Franciscan monk who is kind of dirty and has a vow of poverty and the yeah. Jesuit priest, which is father Alvito, yeah. because they're the intellectuals. They're the high class. They're, you know, a whole different level of being smooth. And yeah. because to be real clear, they, what you know, the Portuguese and the Spanish, they have, have subjugated huge parts of the new world. Sure. But you know, both, both South America, parts of Africa, all, you know, the Philippines, all different parts of Asia. And they're coming up. What's interesting with Japan is they've come up against a country that their old tricks don't didn't work in. Mm -hmm. Like they would just they just took over the Philippines. Right. That's not working here in Japan. Japan is a different animal to deal with. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so they have to they have to adjust their methods to yeah. slowly make inroads, play yep. the longer game in this kind of situation with Japan. And you see it, and you see it clearly. Yeah. You know, and uh, certainly hiding what and hide and what's in that book that they find on. Blackthorn ship, which details all the horrible things that they have done, which is incredible to have like a whole book of evidence, you know, so to speak, oh. that would detail all this is a fascinating element to throw into the mix here. One small detail is that mm -hmm. they say you're a pirate and he says I'm a privateer or a letter of Mark. Right. And the, and the, the, this is, you know, having, you know, I've read all the Patrick O'Brien novels and read lots about this era yeah. is that what a privateer is, is a, it's essentially a mercenary. Mm -hmm. It's the, the crown of England has hired you to go make war on its enemies. And you have documentation that you're allowed to do it. If you, it, and, and so at this moment, being a private ship that attacks other people or steals stuff from other countries, we just go, well, that's messed up. But in this era, this was a, a, a very common legal thing and was accepted as the way. So when they're saying you're a pirate and he's saying I'm not a pirate, right? he's actually correct based on the European rules of the sea at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which the Portuguese and the Spanish know because yeah. they have privateers too. They have the same thing. Right. And let's deal with the political intrigue in this, um, Steve, because I think this is the last element to talk about uh, uh, Besides the cinematography and some score stuff we'll get to, but the, when we do the flashback here in the second episode, we go to the Tycho as he lies dying in this flashback, and he tells Tornaga that the vultures are circling and that how Tornaga is the only one he trusts to keep his heir safe until he comes of age. So you're giving this nobility to Tornaga. And by the way, Tornaga is an interesting complex character as well because he lets his uh, one of his um, uh, people who serves him uh, commit um uh seppuku and his family and they kill the baby as well so yep. certainly there's an he's a, he accepts violence in certain ways uh if he can use it so he's not an altogether altruistic person you may you may like him uh in terms of some of the nobility and taiko giving him the taiko giving him this kind of um mission here to protect his son gives him a little bit of uh, goodness, I guess, for the viewer who's watching. Um, and it's the Tycho who sets up this council of regents with these five separate lords, um, saying that knowing that the council's inability to find consensus consensus will inevitably lead to fighting is what Toronaga thinks. And then we see how they m maneuver around each other. And Toronaga's methods are working with Blackthorn as we see some of the lords who don't want to sign these papers to impeach um, Toronaga from the Council of Regents because Blackthorn is still alive. So he's they're trying to manipulate Ishido to go and kill Blackthorn. And Ishido calls them out and says, well, it's funny how you guys respect your Lord or God, rather, as long as he keeps 
filling your coffers and what have you. So we see yeah. this these great back and forth between Toronaga and Ishido in all of this, and Ishido and the other lords. So how do you think they've done? Uh, how do you think they've laid out this uh, political intrigue amongst these five lords and how it, and the maneuvering that we've seen go on here in the first two episodes? So I I think they handled it really well because the because it, it's always nice when you've read a book or know a period well and you see the little the little details that they get right that maybe yeah. you wouldn't get watching the first time is first of all the the Taiko is a genius I mean this guy was like I said he unified yeah. Japan for the first time ever and the guy was a peasant he had no education no background he literally did it totally self made person yeah he the only person from everything that I've read that was at his near intellectual level is Tokugawa who's Tor Torinaga mm -hmm. and but then what he did when he was dying was he set up this council of regents that he knew hated each other yeah you know like yeah. he knew because he didn't want yeah. yeah yeah because what he didn't want was anyone to get too powerful right. and he knew the most dangerous person in this group was Torinaga or Tokugawa mm -hmm. and he also knew that he probably was the most trustworthy up to a certain point but right. there's also and I think both I think in real life and I know certainly in the book he was real old when he had this son yeah and there is a and he had tried for years and years and years to get an heir yeah. and wasn't fathering any kids and there are rumors that that might not be his kid right that that right. might be tornaga's kid right so that's one thing and the other thing and again i'm just you know it's a spoiler well, they exchange alert, but... a look they exchange oh, yeah. a look in the flashback right the taiko's wife uh and uh uh Toranaga. and ta the taiko even says Torn, uh, you were supposed to marry this person, but you didn't, and blah blah blah. So there's yep. certainly elements of that, and they exchange a look, and she's not too happy with it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and the thing is, and this comes from reading, you know, most most James Clavell books, hmm. every single person from the most powerful person in the book to the peasant or the servant, they all have a plan to make it big in <laughs> some way. They're all everybody is always scheming to how can I if I do this, then I get this. If I do this. And to be real clear, every one of those regions, including Ishido, of course, but including Torinaga, they yeah. all want to be shogun. You know, yes, <laughs> like, yes, and yeah. but Torinaga will say throughout the entire thing, I have no interest in being shogun. I just want to, you know, do a good job until the heir can take over because that's yeah. all I care about. I have no ambitions at all. Totally, totally trust me. I'm not, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and the whole time, that's not what he's doing. Right. He is scheming to take over the country. That is his, that is what he wants. Wow. Yeah. Uh, because he thinks he knows he thinks he knows best he thinks he knows better for, for what's the best for japan for sure yeah and I, I will say this let's let's focus on some scenes here steve do you have some favorite scenes i mean i love the bandit scene with yabushige and his men and you know uh, toronaga saying wow you always seem to be in the right place at the right time mm. uh, <laughs> which i thought was interesting as a little precursor we may be getting down the road with that character as well really love the flashback with the taiko and getting more of that conversation with him and uh, toronaga and his and toronaga's motivations which i thought was great to see as well the assassin scene was super interesting. Uh, I thought the um, the scene with the the courtesan, for lack of a better term, who was disrobing herself and making out with that man right in front of, uh, I think it's Yabushige, um, what that all symbolizes as well here about him and everything about his approach to the world. And then what we see more and more, I think some other scenes that went, go on here with Mariko as well, stepping to the forefront, feeling more of her power, having more of, um, seeing more, seeing her embrace her voice more as this as this episode went along the second episode along 
I thought all of that was uh, really great. What are some scenes that stood out to you that you really enjoyed here from this uh, from these first two episodes? Well, you you highlighted some great ones, and I mm. think first of all, just in terms of the violence in general, I think they're handling it really well. Yeah, like, I, I think it, it looks it is heightened mm. and you know and martial arty in a in a good way without yeah. being over the top. I think. The first time we see a guy's head get chopped off, you know, and it oh, is right, yeah. so shocking. And it's like, you know, having been around guys who were good with swords and knowing what that takes. Yeah, that's a real thing. Like, yeah. you know, masters of a katana can do that. And just the reaction from Blackthorn, because it happens out of nowhere, mm -hmm. is handled really well. I think the assassin, which is a which is a male assassin in the book, yeah. it's not a female assassin. Oh, in is, the book, it's a male assassin. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic and genuinely scary. And I love how they set it up that, oh, you're going to stay in Toronaga's rooms and you see Toronaga. He knew something was coming. Yeah, he sensed it. You yeah. know, like, so, so he, that's why it is just, they didn't put a lot of stuff on it, but the, it was very clear. Like he did not get in that bed. Yeah. Um, I think the, uh, the difference between how Alvito translated for Blackthorn, yeah. which is like 90% accurate. And the way that Mariko translated for mm. Blackthorn, which was making his general points, but yes. never saying them in the way that he said it. Right. It's not be because she doesn't trust him and she doesn't like him. Right. You know, that, that I think that was really, really good. And then I got to talk about yeah. that sex scene. Oh, go we, go ahead. We got to no, no, real quick. We got to uh, highlight the thing you said about Mariko. I think it's a really great point to bring out, Steve, because she does not, because she doesn't trust him. She does not yeah. want him to have favor. With Tornaga. Right. She doesn't want Blackthorn to have favor with Tornaga. So, in a way, she's manipulating the situation herself because Tornaga knows she's smart about these political manipulations, uh, having guessed that thing that the other people couldn't guess. So, what she's doing makes sense with how Tornaga has led us to believe in the script and what have you that uh, she is able to figure this stuff out. So, you understand why she's doing what she's doing. Keep going. I'm sorry I cut you off. Well, no, I was just going to go on to talk about that sex scene because, yes, please. first of all, that is a sexy scene. It's very second of all, second of all, they do such a good job. So Kiku, who's the courtesan character, mm -hmm. she's an important character. And she with basically no lines, you watch her not just because she's stunningly beautiful, but you watch her make this choice. Yeah. That you go, this is an interesting choice. It is a surprising and unexpected choice. Yeah. And you see his reaction to it. Like he's not that interested in her no. until she does this totally unexpected thing. And this is why I go, he's one of my favorite. He's a horrible person. Sure. I'm just, you know, the guy likes to boil people alive. This is not a good guy. He is one of my absolute favorite characters. Yeah. And that moment of him turning when this is happening and kind of looking over and going, oh, this is interesting, makes is part of why I love him as a character. You know, yeah. we said this before. We don't love characters in movies simply because they are good people. Yeah. You know, I love Hans and Darth Vader and, you know, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Those are all terrible people, but they're fascinating people. So I, I, I think that was handled. And I was really wondering, because of course I know the book. So I knew yeah. that that's in the book. And I was wondering how are they going to handle it? And they went right at it. And this is what I mean when I said at the very beginning that in some ways, they actually I thought they were going to move away from the book more yeah. than they did. Yeah. And in some ways, it, they, it's actually succeeding and is more modern and interesting in a way because they stuck with the book. Yeah. Because they said, yeah. no, there's something interesting here. Th those, those are some of the scenes that really stuck out with me as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious how they're going to advance 
Blackthorn's character and in what way? You know, mm. how are they going to to create that relationship with him and Mariko? Yeah. You know, like how is all that stuff going to work? I'm very curious about it. Especially because you've highlighted how the difference in the approach they had to that relationship with the book versus right. and the series versus what uh, the original series versus what we're getting here in yeah. this series, how they're going to find the way. Yeah, got to give love uh, to Tadanobu Asano. That's who plays uh, Yabu Yabushige. I think the, char the character is so great because the actor is bringing those elements uh, to it and, and um, bringing that interesting uh, charm to it, even though, as you said, he's a pretty horrible guy. Horrible guy. He's got a charm to him that you find interesting, and um, I think he steals both of these episodes with uh, what he's doing uh, there as an actor. Do you want to give some love to this music here? Nick Chuba, Atticus Ross, Leopold Ross fantastic music throughout these first two episodes the cinematography from christopher ross is incredible and certainly the editing by uh, aika miyaki has uh, deserves a shout out as well and a highlight and i failed to mention at the beginning here that it's from uh, the co-creators justin marks and rachel kondo also write the episode so incredible writing throughout these first two episodes as well anything to say about any of that here before we wrap up our uh, spoiler review steve of these first two episodes or anything that i might have missed that you want to make sure we highlight so first of all, I'm just happy that they really went for it. You know, mm -hmm. they, they went, this is not a low budget thing. We're not going to make this, we're not going to try to sensationalize it in some way. We're not trying to turn it into, like, it's funny because I saw some of the people writing about it and they're like, oh, this is Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I, and I like that, that that's the approach they took is like, yes, there is a central character. Yeah. But we're actually, it's really an ensemble, which the books are much, I mean, Blackthorn is the central character, but like we, all the characters are fully realized and we don't know where this is going to go. Yeah. Just like Game of Thrones, it's, there's a struggle for power. There's all these different players. People are going to betray each other. People are going to get killed. We don't know which way this is going to go. And the, the scale of it, the size of it, the beautiful, beautiful landscapes, the, everything we're seeing, I'm just like, yeah, they really, really really went for it yeah the only the almost honestly the only weakness to me is that it's really missing john reese davies as rodriguez <laughs> who's a fantastic character and this guy's gonna have to do a lot at this point to, to kind of live up to that <laughs> well i don't remember much of him from in from that movie uh, series i do remember him obviously in indiana jones and uh and uh, as gimli in, in lord of the rings but I like what Nestor Carbonell is doing, and I was unrecognizable to me. Uh, I've never seen him play a role like this, so this was something really new and interesting for him. And I enjoyed Joaquin de Almeida, who I usually see in direct to DVD or direct to mm. streaming type movies. Of course, he was the villain in the um, in the, one of those uh, Jack Ryan films, but. I like seeing him getting a chance to have some fun with a role like this as this priest who's giving him all this information and warning him about what's going to happen with Toronaga and to be careful about what's going to happen with him once he gets into the court there. So I love all of that. Um, I, do, I, I yeah. do have one. I, I realize I have one more thought that's okay. that, that I want, just wanted to express, which is sure. that part of why I think these books were so big for me is coming off of, as you know, obviously, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Yes. And one of the lessons of Star Trek was always the people that you conceive of as your enemy actually are just people that you don't understand and you need to get to know them better. Right. And all of the James Clovell books, they really do that. Some more successfully than others, of course. But part of what this journey is, is, and what I loved about it as a kid was it really makes the Europeans look bad is that it really makes Blackthorn 
someone who has to who thinks he has it all figured out right you know just the stuff about not bathing and and he sees these people as barbarians and then he slowly comes to realize that oh they know and understand all sorts of stuff that i don't yeah. and in fact he's going to go through this change and that's the kind of story that it meant so much to me and i think it's good that we're doing it again to look yeah. at to yeah. do the sort of both of these sides don't understand the other side. They think the other side is barbarians and what, and yet, in fact, we are all much more similar and can learn from each other, despite the fact that we come from vastly different cultures. Yeah, you know? 100%. I think that's 100% the thing. He's like, they both claim the other side is barbarian, but they're both barbaric in some of the things that they're going to do. Yep. We know what the Western influences do in colonizing these lands, colonizing these areas. And certainly we see, as you mentioned, the Japanese, what they do with China, with Korea and other places, what they're trying to do as well. So it's it's this belief that our side is so good it's the other side that's barbaric and we're going to ignore the barbaric things we do yeah. on our side because we needed to do them. It's that kind of thing. So I like that it's not necessarily choosing one side over the other, but it's highlighting this uh, self-deception that we have sometimes depending on what side of the fence that we're on about our own side, so to speak. Exactly. So I love that. And especially nowadays, it's a really resonant message going on in our world nowadays, no matter what side of the fence you're on at any issue. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us for this spoiler review of the first two episodes of Shogun. I hope Steve can keep coming back to do a review every week because I would love to keep talking about this show every week as it drops and have fun discussing it because it certainly is already my favorite show of the year. Uh, and I had a blast seeing it in the theaters and getting to talk about it with my friend who is so steeped in James Clavell and steeped in the um, history of the book and what goes on in the book, I think gives us a new, an interesting element for our reviews here as we discuss it as well. So Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, please let us know where they can find you and everything you got going on, my brother. So uh, you can find me at SR Morris. It's right there on the screen on Twitter and SR Morris one on Instagram. And of course the cinephiles, we are in the midst of our season of Scorsese. John and I just recorded a great beginning of our conversation on Raging Bull yesterday, and I am hurriedly editing it as we speak. So we're going to be doing Raging Bull for a few more weeks and then going right into Last Temptation of Christ as our special Easter uh, episode. So, so that's what's going on in the cinephiles. Definitely check that out. There you go. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Go and subscribe to that uh, uh, podcast. We are so pro doing it for eight years now, and we've had so many great responses. We keep building, keep getting bigger. Uh, so please come and join that. Whatever your favorite movie is, uh, we've probably talked about it and broke it down in a fun and interesting way for you all to check out. Uh, please remember to subscribe to the channel down below. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell button. Hit a like on this video. Leave your comments down below. What would you like about the first two episodes? What did you enjoy about it? Did we miss anything? Uh, do you want to make sure you highlight something? Let us know down in the comment section below. And then follow me at the Roca says on Twitter. Instagram and TikTok and the Outlaw Nation on Twitch. All right, until next time, y'all take care of yourselves, be well, and we'll see you soon here on the Outlaw Nation. Enjoy Shogun. Peace. Peace.